ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. This is going to be some flat teaching, flat foot teaching today. Um, you know, no, no running around the church message. I can tell you that already. Um, and that's okay because we need that. Sometimes we eat too much dessert. Sometimes we just need some green beans and some peas, some collard greens. Don't lick your lips. Some Brussels sprouts, if that bring y'all back down. All right. I like Brussels sprouts. They're very tasty. So is everybody at 2 Corinthians chapter 10? And I'm sorry, I said um, 1 through 5. I think I'm going to start at 3. Hear a few pages flipping. Where's that clock? There we go. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Everybody say war. War. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through who? To the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I'm going to read that last part in the New American Standard Bible. It says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Now go with me to Isaiah chapter 2 verse 11. We are in a war. Our weapons are not carnal. And we do have a responsibility to cast down imaginations and every high thing, not some high things, but every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Is everyone at Isaiah chapter 2 verse 11? And it reads, the proud look of a man will be abased and the loftiness that self-exaltation of man will be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. What day is that? This day. The Lord alone is to be exalted. Everything else is supposed to be cast down. So I brought up very quickly um, war. So before I explain why I brought up war, let's talk about what my message title is. It is the unsurrendered soul. The unsurrendered soul. So this morning, I will share with you, one, what is an unsurrendered soul? Two, what a surrendered soul is. Three, how do we surrender our souls using Jesus as our example? So if I miss something today, oops, I'm watching that clock. That's all I can tell you. So let's start off. Um, Jesus spoke to his disciples about the end time. They wanted to know what were the signs of his return. And he told them several things, one of which was that there would be wars and what? Rumors of wars. But he said that that would not be the end. Now, I am not here to teach on end times, and I'm not here to dispute what Jesus has taught his disciples or taught us. But what I do want to do is point out to you about war. Now, war in and of itself means that there are two opposing forces coming against each other. I like to say, and I don't like to say, that quite often we don't hear Christians talking about, I'm in war. We don't hear that too much, do we? But I'm here to tell you we are at war. We're in a spiritual warfare day in, day out, day in, day out, and it goes unnoticed, undetected, unresolved, and sadly enough to say unfought by many of us as Christians. Now, the thing we talk about a lot is that we're under attack. Anybody ever talk about that? 
I'm under attack. The enemy has attacked my children. The enemy has attacked my body. The enemy has attacked my job. The enemy has attacked my finances. Attack denotes that something is coming at you, but you're not doing anything about it. And we talk about being attacked a lot. Well, I'm here to say it's time out for being attacked, and it's time for us to go to war. Now, it seems like this message is going to be about spiritual warfare, but I only had so many minutes So I am going to recommend that you go and study for yourself what spiritual warfare really is all about. What I'm here to talk to you about is why you're not in the war. What's the obstacle that keeps you from getting in the fight? What's happening in your life that you feel like no matter how you want to do something different, how you want your relationships to be different, how you want your work experience to be different, how you want your children to be different, you keep getting the same old thing. It seems like although your spirit is new, how many of you are in Christ in here? Just quick inventory. Ooh, I'm counting. No, I'm not. So you know if you're in Christ that you're a new creature, a new creation. You're not the same thing. You're something that was never created before. Your spirit loves the Lord. It's lined up with the Lord. It hungers to be with the Lord. It knows the word of God, the will of God, and it's constantly moving towards our soul to get our soul to line up with it. But it's that soul. You know, our mind, our will, our emotions that was not redeemed. That might be a newsflash for some of you. Neither was your flesh. But let's talk about your soul a little bit. The mind, the way you think. The will, the way you choose. And then our emotions, the way we feel. Whether or not you know it, your soul has declared war, civil war to be exact, against your own spirit. And it goes undetected. Quite often we're deceived and we don't even know we're in a war. But the very nature of deception is it's hidden from the person who's deceived. So here I am. Send here by the Spirit of the living God to pull the deception off of your eyes to let you know that your soul is at war with your spirit. We all agree the Spirit loves the Lord. We all agree that things still aren't working out the way we want them to all the time. But does that mean that your soul is unsurrendered in every area of your life? No. Many of us are surrendered greatly. In most areas. But most of us have that one or two or three things that we're still working on. Anybody other than me got some stuff that you need to work on? And it seems like no matter what you do, you just can't get it right? Well, the reality of it is that you, me, we have placed our souls on the throne where God should be sitting. And it's time to do an eviction. Anybody ready to do some eviction this morning? Praise God. Amen. So I shared with you first that I was going to explain to you what an unsurrendered soul is. Before I do that, I want to remind you that we are in war, but the war or battle is fixed. Would anybody agree with that? God said the battle is not yours, but it's his. It doesn't mean that we don't get in the fight. It just means that we win. The fight is fixed. We already read that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not us cussing folks out. They're not us defriending people because somebody said something we didn't like. 
It's not us going year after year after year not speaking to somebody. It's not us being more committed to marriage than our spouse. Because some folks are married, you know, y'all in separate rooms, separate bank accounts. I'm talking. Y'all listening? That's commitment to marriage and not commitment to one another. All in these wars that have accomplished nothing. Because it's not about our flesh, our personalities, what we think, what we feel, what we want, what we desire. It is about God's will, God sitting on the throne of our lives, us being surrendered to that, and knowing that when we do that, he's in the fight with us, that we have already won, that the weapons are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That when we put on the whole armor of God, we're able to stand against the wiles or the attacks of the enemy. Not only do we stand, we fight. How? With the word of God. That's our offensive weapon. That's it right there. People act as though the word is passe. It's not passe. It is your power source with faith. Because there are some people who memorize the Bible and have no power whatsoever. It requires faith in the living God. He says it's by his spirit, with his word, in faith that we have our victories. So I wanted to let you know before we dug in that you already win. Amen? Amen. So we're on a journey, and I already mentioned that sometimes we feel like we cannot change, Um, but we can change, and Jesus is our answer. We know our obstacle is that we have placed our souls on the throne, and let's see what happens when we do that. Go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. Don't feel bad. That's happened to me in church, too. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 17 reads, For the flesh, and I wanted to bring clarity here. We hear the flesh, and we always think about just this. That's correct, but that's incomplete. The word flesh there means man's nature, man's earthly ways, and man's personality. I don't know about you, but my personality is not lodged in my flesh. My personality is lodged in my soul my mind, my will, and my emotions. So when the scripture is talking about the flesh here, it's talking about the complete nature of man and his flesh that is not surrendered to God. Are we clear on that one? Okay, so it says the flesh lusts or sets its desires against the spirit. And the spirit there is capitalized, so we're talking Holy Spirit. And the spirit is against or opposed to the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now remember, your born-again spirit is always lying in line with the big spirit, right? Holy spirit. And so if you're at war with the Holy Spirit, you're at war with your little spirit. And it's telling you in this scripture that no matter how much you say you want to, you can't because your soul is at war with your spirit. But that was not the war that God intended for any of us to fight. How many of you have ever been looking at maybe the, um, the travel channel or something? You go, oh, that's something I really want to do. I want to go on that vacation. I would love to do that. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. And five years later, you still haven't gone. There's been no money saved towards it. You haven't even gotten a brochure. You haven't even Googled the location. But you said you wanted to go, right? You said that thing. You said it. So it's obvious that saying is insufficient for change. There still requires some type of action. Because faith without is dead being alone. 
we're not working ever for our salvation. That was settled over 2,000 years ago. We're not even working for eternity. Come on, guys, that's a part of your inheritance. All of y'all raise your hands. You say, yes, I got Jesus. I got Jesus. Then that means your eternity is settled once and for all. We can all cry, Abba, Father. That was such an awesome worship, worship song. Just reminds you of who we really are. But what we're working for, what we're striving towards every day is spiritual maturity. That's what we're striving for. Because without spiritual maturity, then he can't come back for that perfect church that he's talking about. He's not talking about the church that lays hands and delivers the sick. He's talking about a church that can walk in true love. He's talking about a church that understands the peace of God and can pull on the peace of God in the midst of a storm and can bring somebody along with them. He's talking about a mature church that knows who they are, that they know that there is no lack or slack or want in them, that every need they have is met according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus because they have surrendered themselves to the living God. And every day, folks, the enemy is attacking you to help you or cause you or make you believe that everything God has said about you, everything God has promised you, everything God wants to do for you will not be done. Even right now, as I speak, there are those in here who think they're not good enough, not worthy enough, not pretty enough, not strong enough, not rich enough, not loved enough. You cannot be loved any more than the love of God. And it's because of his love, there is nothing that we can't do. But your soul has told you something different. Because your soul is sitting on the throne where Jesus belongs. And it's time for a revolt. Amen? Have you ever heard the phrase, my enemy is inner me? Anybody ever heard that phrase? It's the truth. It really is the truth. It's what we think that quite often keeps us where we are. And sometimes it's our fault, and sometimes it's not our fault. Quite often an unsurrendered soul can come from bad preaching. It just can. And so we get in bondage with legalism, and we're trying to work our way somewhere and work our way through something when it's already been done for us. And so we shun grace. But I'm telling you, grace is the answer. Because when you submit to God's grace, then you've submitted to all of his promises. And then there are times when we're dealing with unresolved hurts, unresolved issues, unmet needs. My heart bleeds for people who have dealt with situations that are cruel and unusual and unfair and unjust. No one should have had to endure some of the things that our children have endured, are enduring, and will endure. It was God's will that all of us had two parents who loved us and nurtured us. No child should have to grow up and try to get over their parenting. Shouldn't have to happen. No woman, no man should ever be raped. Should never have to happen. Nobody should have to endure divorce or repeated broken relationships, be it dating or otherwise, but it happens. But we don't have to stay there. But the enemy has convinced us that we do. So our soul continues to tell us that we are victims and not victors. That we have been overtaken instead of being overcomers. He tells us that we are under and not the head. 
And so we stay in these ruts. Those are souls unsurrendered. And then sometimes it's just our own stinking thinking, our own thought life, things that we think about that we shouldn't think about. And we constantly think that when we're in a battle, that it's our own thinking and or our resources that are going to get us out. The reality of it is, is that we are then blindsided and left with no way of escape. The only way of escape always is by and through the precious blood of Jesus that was shed for us over 2,000 years ago. Amen? we got to get to a point where we stop trusting GPA, the doctor's report, the weather report, and everything else more than we trust God. He is the light, he is the way, and he is the truth. Amen? So here's a good example for you all of an unsurrendered soul. Let's go to 1 Samuel 15. We're going to start at verse 7. And while you're flipping to 1 Samuel 15, let me give you some backdrop. And this is going to be in the New American Standard Bible. I don't know if you have that, whoever's doing that up there, but I just figured I'll tell you guys what I'm reading from. So Saul was the first king of Israel, and God had given him a commandment. He told him, they were at war, as you all know, in the very beginning. They stayed in war. I don't, I don't know how they lived. They were always fighting. But um, God had given him a commandment to go and kill the Amalekites, every one of them. He didn't say some of them. He said kill every man, every woman, every teenager, every child, every infant, all the livestock. Don't bring nothing back. Kill them all. Why? They were a sinful nation whose hearts were hardened, no intentions of changing. They had already attacked Israel once before, and they were living in Israel's promised land. God said, go kill them. So here we go. Let's pick up at verse 7 and see what happened with God's commandment. And Saul attacked the Amalekites, well done, from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt, verse 8. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good in Saul's sight, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless in Saul's sight, that they utterly destroyed. Verse 10, now the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Samuel was the prophet of the day, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, well, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed, he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, Samuel. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the... They, they, did y'all catch that? They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet or shut up, and I will tell you what the Lord has said to me last night. So Samuel said, verse 17, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? When you were small in your own sight, did God not save you and deliver you from the hands of the enemy? Did he not call you in to be his own as one of his children and give you everything just as he had given Christ? 
What a powerful thing. We don't have to be big in our sight for God to love us. He loves us right where we are. Verse 18, now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Hmm. And God on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites as if Agag wasn't an Amalekite. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Because, and this is why he did it, I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. Hmm. Now, at this point, what I'd like for you to do is listen for yourself. You know, we tend to hear a message from Auntie and them all the time. I feel sorry for husbands sometimes because I see us women. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Well, today I want you to do this. Did you hear that? Nudge yourself if you got to nudge somebody. So I'm going to share with you the signs of an unsurrendered soul so that you can see for yourself where you're not surrendered. Amen. And so there were seven things that we saw in that scripture reading. The first was in verse 11. So verse 11 says, I greatly regret, this was God talking, that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me. So the first one is no longer following God. That's the first sign of an unsurrendered soul. You have to look at yourself and ask, am I lacking a regular time in prayer and a regular time in the word? Am I doing things that would bring me closer to God? Or are the things that I'm doing actually driving a wedge between me and God? Number two, looking at verse number 12, verse 12 says, So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. Number two, more time speaking about yourself than giving thanksgiving or praise to God. We don't build monuments today. Not most of us are going to go out and build something that looks, you know, like us. But the way we build up monuments is in our mind. Are we bragging about how good we are, how smart we are, how well we play our sports, how much information we know, what a great mom I am, what a great wife I am, what a great dad I am? how much everybody likes being around me. I'm the life of the party. Are we talking about how much money I have and forgetting to recognize who it was that gave you the power to get that money? Are we talking about how healthy I am and forgetting that it was God who gave you divine health and divine healing? There's nothing wrong with being blessed. By golly, we're all blessed and want to be blessed, amen? But when we stop remembering who it was that blessed us, 
when we can't pause enough to say praise God and thank you and it was because of his goodness and his mercy and his love that I am where I am today, then maybe you've built a monument to yourself. Now, don't get it twisted, folks. There's something on the other side of of boasting. It's also being self-defeated. Yeah. That's just to say thank you for that. Because too often... People's conversations are, I am not good enough. I'll never be rich. I'll never get married. I'm the worst thing. My attitude sucks. I can keep going on and on and on. It's always about them. It's still a monument. Because you can say, you know, I got a poor attitude, but I know my God can deliver me even out of this. Right now, I'm struggling to find the right husband, but all I need is one. And my God is bigger than any situation that there is out there. He knows who is best suited for me. He's already on the job. I just need to position myself in the right place so I can walk into the fullness of my husband. And for all you single men out here, to find your good thing. Amen? Amen. I'm not going to look at y'all, but it's a few of y'all that I just walked past. And they're good, mighty men of God, too. I'm going to just tell y'all. I'm moving over here. Praise ye the Lord. (laughs) Let's look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? Hmm. So number three is prideful or false humility. Two and three kind of go together, but they are still separate. It's important to check your heart. How prideful are you? I tell my husband this all the time. Because of what he does for a living, there are a lot of people who are talking in his ear. They're saying a lot of good things to him. And I always tell him, take a compliment like you take an insult. Take them both the same. Not moved one way or the other. Some of us need to stop reading our headlines. We read our own headlines and we walk around all like this and we ain't nothing without God. It's in him we move and have our being. It's in him that we do all things. And when we start thinking it's us, 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 this is what we're about to do. There's a fall that goes with that. Amen? Okay, I need to be back over here by my notes. I need to have to time that so I get back when I say period, right? Let's go to verse 20. Verse 20 says, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Now, that was Saul talking to Samuel after he didn't do everything he was supposed to do. But he literally, out of his own mouth, said, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. We call that being self-deceived. The king was naked, and nobody told him. He had no clue he was naked. I believe with all my heart that when Saul came back, he felt like he really did do what God wanted him to do. But the problem was his soul was on the throne of his life, and he was using his own barometer to judge what was good and what was worthless. And quite often, that's what we do. We use our own judgment to determine if this person is a keeper or if we should let them go. If this is a job I should have or a job I should walk away from. Should I buy that house or not buy that house? Should that be my friend or should that not be my friend? Should I be at this church or should I be at another church? God is the God of peace. Peace should be our umpire. It determines what's safe and what's out and not us. And Saul didn't do that. 
He made a decision on his own, independent of God, that to keep the king alive was good. To take all the livestock that he thought was healthy was a good thing. But God had said, no, it's not. And if God said it's not, then it's not, and that settles it. But we deceive ourselves because we listen to popular opinion more often than we listen to God. Whatever we're spending time with, it will influence us. I don't care if you listen to Fox, CNN, MSNBC. I don't know what all the stations are because I'm horrible with them. But I promise you, you listen to it day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out, day in, day out. You're going to talk just like them. You're going to think just like them. You're not going to even wonder what God has to say about the issue anymore. Why? Because your soul is tantalized, and it has now taken its wrongful place on the throne of your life, and you start to believe what you hear. You start to believe what you do, and you think you're in line with the will of God, and you're not. And that's what happened to Saul. He started believing his own headlines. The people were boasting about him, congratulating him on the people that he had killed. He started feeling good about himself, forgot that it was God. Whose battle is it? The battle is the Lord's. He had delivered those people into his hand before he ever stepped on the battlefield. But Saul thought it was him. And because he thought it was him, he thought he had a right to make the decision on who got to live and who was going to be slaughtered. It's a dangerous place to live. And yet... Many of us are self-deceived, and God has shown me in areas where I'm self-deceived. Not anymore. I'm getting my soul off the throne of my life. And then verse 22, it says, Has the Lord so great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? So number five is making sacrifices instead of obeying the voice of the Lord. I think that one's pretty clear. I'm not going to even expound on that. And verse 23, it says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. God said to Saul, Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. He did not reject him from his kingdom. He rejected him from being king. I need you to hear that. God's not rejecting us. He loves us. He died for us. You're not going to die for somebody and then reject them. Come on, for real. He's not rejecting us. But God can't pour out the blessings on us that he would like to do when our soul is on the throne of our lives because we're ill-prepared to receive it. We will make a shipwreck of ourselves if we have something before we're ready. That's why we're in the fight for spiritual maturity, so God can do everything he's promised us in our lives. Amen? Now, don't get so mm, with, with Saul. We reject the word of God, whether or not we call it that. So just a few examples. Can I do that? So sleeping with somebody before you get married, that's rejecting the word of God. Redefining what marriage is. That's rejecting the word of God. Trusting your riches and your resources over the word of God is rejecting the word of God. Did I mention unforgiveness? It's rejecting the word of God. Check yourself. Remember, guys, this is your litmus test. Where are you? Is your soul on the throne of your life? And if so, in what areas? It's time for a revolt. The last one. He mentioned it in verses 20 and 24, but I'm going to look at 24. He says, because I feared the people 
and obeyed their voice. That was his reasoning for doing what he did. So following popular opinion, and we talked about that a little bit already. You know, we think that only children deal with peer pressure. That's not true. Adults deal with it all the time. Where do you think our kids learned it from? Don't be so hard on your teens. We are concerned about how people think about us, how they feel about us, if they like us, if they don't like us. Is my outfit okay? Is my hair okay? I can be real guilty of the hair okay and the outfit okay. I really can. But I don't care if you don't like me. Now, do I want you to like me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you don't like me, I'm going to get over that. And life is good. I refuse to put that on the throne of my life, amen? So if your soul is the ruler of your life, it's time to overtake your present ruling party. So what does a surrendered soul look like? I'm going to read this out of Psalm, out of New King James Version, Psalms 37, 7. It says, rest, be still, be dumb or silent in the Lord and wait patiently for him, do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Now, I found a new translation I never heard of. It's God's Word translation. And I liked how it said in that, it said, surrender yourself to the Lord and wait patiently for him. And I got to asking the Lord, well, you know, rest, surrender, rest, surrender. And he reminded me of when I was robbed. I used to work for Dairy Queen between my freshman and sophomore year of college. And our manager was horrible. He was never there. And he left a bunch of teens by ourselves. Well, the long story short, guy walks in. He puts something on the counter, tells me to put my hands up or he'll blow away my head. Well, what do you think I did? I was still. I was not moving until he told me what I could do. I was dumb. I didn't know nothing. I wasn't trying to know nothing, and I wasn't going to say nothing. So I was silent because I wanted to make sure I heard what he had to say because I recognized my life. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? And you know when you throw your hands up and you stand like this, we say you are what? Surrendered. I was like, Lord, I get it. I get it. We need to learn to be quiet. Not know nothing. Stop moving. Listen for, hunger for, thirst for, seek after, chase after, long for the living God who has absolutely everything that you need and will give it to you in this position. Amen. Surrendered. Amen? So we're going to take a look at our example of surrender. So everybody go with me to Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 44. And this is our greatest example, Jesus. The Word tells us to keep our eye on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. It's nobody else, it's nothing else, and it's not us. We've got to get off of the throne of our lives because we don't know what we're doing. We are jacking ourselves up, and we're blaming the enemy. The enemy's laughing 
because our soul is at war with our spirit and he gets to sit back and watch the spectacle and go mess with somebody else. So Matthew 26, starting with 36, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Verse 38, then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, so you men, he didn't say women, I'm sorry, I had to add that, could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Lord Jesus. 42, he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. So Jesus has left us with five examples of a surrendered soul. So here, check yourself again. Here we go. Um, number one, you find this in verse 37. He says, he took with him Peter, James, and John, correct? So learn to find people of faith to agree with you concerning God's will. Romans chapter 1, verses 11 through 12, jot that down, go back and read it. Quite often, we find people to agree with what our soul wants to do, but not what our spirit wants to do. I always know when my friends, my closest friends, are up to something because they won't call me because I'm not agreeing with no mess. And when they finally call me, they always say, girl, I didn't want to call you because I knew what you were going to say. So learn to get over yourself and make the first call. If you got to make a call, get somebody who agrees with you. Not somebody who is going, excuse me, agrees with the word. Not somebody who agrees with your soul. Amen? Number two, confess your faults one to another. In verse 38, Jesus told his disciples what he was dealing with. He said, my soul is deeply grieved. Now, we know Jesus was tempted on all accounts, but without sin. Here he's giving us an example of what we can do when our soul is heavy and grieved, when we're distressed. He said, find people that you can confess your fault to, your weakness to, your distress to, your sin to, so that you can be healed. So he went and he confessed to someone. It's important to allow other people to pray for you because sometimes when you're going through, it's difficult to pray. I don't know if you've ever been there. I have been. Number three, be honest with God. Hebrew chapters 12, 13 tells us that there is no creature hidden from God and all things are naked and open to him. So God already knows what's going on in your world. So why not go to the throne humbly and be honest? Jesus did. This was the beginning of his surrender. He went to the throne of God and he told God, he says, I don't want to drink this. But if the only way we can do this is for me to drink of this cup, not my will, but your will be done. But he told his daddy the truth of where he was. That's the beginning of your sweet surrender. 
when you can lay open before God and be naked before him and tell him the very thing you're struggling with and know that the God of all mercy and the God of all grace loves you so much, he will not be turned off. He will not be offended. He will not step away from you, but he'll step even closer to you. He'll hold you in his arms and love you right where you are. He'll give you the strength that you need to stay in the fight and not give up. He will assure you that he is with you and the fight is fixed and you have already won in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Number four is pray, 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 etc., etc., etc. First Thessalonians verses 5, uh, 17, 8, actually it's 19, tells us to pray without ceasing. Jesus was a great example of prayer, but in his midnight, midnight hour, he did not go eat food. In his midnight hour, he did not turn on the television or whatever they turned on back in the day. In the midnight hour, he went to the throne of God and he prayed. That's your war cry, folks. That's your war cry. Because remember, you're in a fight. The real fight is a spiritual fight. Amen? And then number five, Jesus was willing to do God's will no matter what the cost. It doesn't matter if you lose a friend. Does it matter if you lose a job? It doesn't matter if they take your house. It does not matter if people talk about you or you feel alone or insecure. It doesn't matter. If God has told you to do something, know like you know like you know he has a blessing right behind it. If they took your house, he's got two houses for you. If they talked about you today, tomorrow they're going to lift you up. If you feel like you lost a job, you'll now have, now have choices of which job you might want to choose from. God is bigger than any situation or circumstance, but you got to be willing to let go. We live our lives like this. And trust and believe when I tell you, you can't get nothing in my hand like this. I don't care how you try. I could put my hand in front of Minister Vinny, who's a pretty strapping man. Can't get anything in it. But when you release whatever you think is important to you, God will place in your hand something greater, something richer, something sweeter, something stronger, something mightier. God is here always with you. He's never left you or forsaken you. And I'm not just talking about the general promises of divine health and divine healing and, and, and blessings overflowing, financial blessings and spiritual blessings, but God hears your personal needs and wants. That little thing that's important to you and you and you and you, that secret thing that nobody else knows about, God knows, and he's trying to get it to you. He wants to get it to you more than you want to receive it, but it's time for a revolt. Get your throne in order. Remove your soul from the throne of your life. Place Jesus back where he belongs, and you will find those things that you felt you could not overcome or turn around or accomplish. God will work it out for you. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God.